Get ready to rock radio. Music you want to hear. We're saying hello now to someone we admire here at Get Ready to Rock. Features regularly in our singer-songwriter sequence, Monday to Friday, 1400 hours. And we say hello to Joan Armour Trading. Uh, hi. Hello, Joan. And I, and I gather you're hot-footing it from a rehearsal for the forthcoming tour. Yes, um, I'm rehearsing it in Putney, and you might hear the train going across every now and again because we, we rehearse in the, the great uh, rehearsal, rehearsal hall, but it's right above the, the train line, and the train rumbles across, you know, on schedule. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes two at a time, you know, very quick succession, so get ready for that. So if there are some reverb, reverberations at your end, it's the train then? That's yeah. Ah, oh, so are things going well then? Because you're very busy at the moment. You're releasing a brand new album called Starlight, which we'll come on and talk about. In fact, we open with the track Back on Track, talking about trains, although, of course, the song's nothing to do with that. Um, and, of course, you've got loads of festival dates during the summer. Yes. Yeah, I've, I've done festival dates before, but I've, I've, I've never done so many in kind of one string. It's just something I really fancy fancy doing and so this is the year that it's so yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to it so I'm doing like uh, Crop Freddy and Hop Farm and the Isle of Wight and Cambridge and uh, the Acoustic Festival lots of different festivals and then I'm also doing some festivals in Europe as well um, so the festivals kind of go from May through to July August I think and then uh, from September to December will be the concert hall dates so the, the best thing I can say to people is go to my website, www.johnmatrady.com, and have a look at the tour dates there, because there's just too, too many for me too to, many, to, no. to me even begin to start to tell you where I'm going. That's right. So it's extensive. You're going to be busy now for the rest of the year, basically, aren't you? That's right. Yeah. But absolutely, I mean, the rehearsals are going really, really well. We've, uh, you know, we're obviously going to do new and old songs, so there's all the new songs, not all the new songs, but new songs from the new CD, and then stuff from um, Into the Blues, and I don't know if I do anything from This Charming Life. I think, yes, I think I do. Uh, yeah, so Into the Blues, This Charming Life, and going back, of course, Love and Affection, and different songs like that, you know. So it's a good, good mixture, and, and, and the, the tour will kind of have a jazzy flavor to it as well, to go with, because I, I kind of do that with Into the Blues, well, that was a blues-flavoured album, so the so the tour had a kind of blues flavour to it, and then the Charming Life was a rock-flavoured album, so the tour had a rock flavour to it, and this one is a jazz-flavoured thing. So something for everyone, really. But do you find, Joan, that you approach the festival gigs slightly differently to the theatre tours because it's a different ambience, isn't it? Does that dictate the set list? It's kind of yes, in that. Because it's a festival, you, you can't have too many, um, uh, too much kind of light and shade, if you like. Of course, you have to have light and shade still, even for the festival. The set for the concert tours is two hours, and the set for the festivals is an hour. So that tells you you've got to get rid of a, an hour's worth of songs to be able to play the festival. So that dictates, you know, what you've got to try and get rid of um, or what you're not going to be able to play because you just don't have the time. Um, and then, um, and you need energy as well, I think. So, so yes, it, it affects it in that way, in, in that you don't have the same amount of time. 
Now, can we say, Joan, congratulations on a, a wonderful new album? And the most obvious thing to me, although you, you may correct me now, is that you've done everything yourself. You've produced it, you've played on it. Um, very much um, self-sufficient production, really. Is this the first time you've had this approach for an album? No, this is the fourth album I've done this with. So I did the album in 2003. I did that, and I played everything apart from the drums in 2007. So 2003 was, um, what's that called? Um, Lover Speak, that was called. It wasn't an acoustic album, but it had an acoustic flavour to it. Oh, 2003. Then 2007, I did Into the Blues, which is <laughs> blues flavoured. I uh, played everything apart from drums. 2010, This Charming Life, rock flavoured, played everything apart from drums. And this one, 2012, called Starlight. This time I programmed the drums instead of uh, working with the drum, drummer, getting a drummer in. Cause that, because even when I got the drummer in, I would kind of do, play, program the drums myself, but I'd I thought I would get the drummer in to kind of replace what I'd done. But this time, I, I, I just thought I'd keep what I did. So, um, that's, so it's basically just me. <laughs> Very good. So this has been a trend then, effectively, for the last decade. Was that a conscious decision you made all those years ago to just do your own thing, really, uh, you know, um, separately like that? Well... Um, my first record was 1972. So from 1972 until 2003, uh, I did the albums with musicians. I would always still write and arrange. So a lot, a lot of the parts you're hearing is the parts that I've written anyway, even though the musicians are playing. But um, uh, I, I made the, the, the albums with the, with the musicians. Um, I always played this my demos myself, you know, played everything on my demos myself, and, that, and, and I thought it'd be really good one day to, to do that on record. And so 2003, I thought, well, this is the time that I'm going to do it. And uh, I did it, and it was, you know, successful. It sounded good. It didn't, didn't sound like it was somebody, one person trying to play everything. And so then I decided that I would just carry on and, and do the next, and I'd, 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 um, in 2003, I decided I would do like a trilogy, a, rock, a blues, a rock, and a jazz thing. So, so I'd set myself that kind of goal. <laughs> uh, so, so that's what I was doing as well. I, I really enjoy it, and, and, and look, I can do it. So, you know, it's fine to do. And Starlight brings that uh, story up to date, really, as far as the trilogy goes. But do you find your um, your your own biggest critic, really, Joan, or is this so- something that c- comes with experience and the confidence to be able to do that? Because you set, you know, it sets a very high standard for yourself to 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 have to do all these different duties of production and multitasking, really, isn't it? You know, even when I was working with producers, I was always very very involved. It was never a producer saying this is how the song goes. It was always me saying this is how the song goes. So uh, b- because I because I'm um, a writer, uh, for me writing is is writing and arranging. It's not just kind of having an idea and hoping everybody else will will make it go the way it's supposed to go. I I've always from when I first started to write, I've always thought in terms of what the instruments should be doing. So even right on my very first album, I was, you know, I knew what I wanted on the album and I knew what I wanted to, to sound like and, and people to play. I was really seriously lucky with 
Scott Sturgeon, who was my first producer, they recognized that I had a very strong idea. And so he made sure that what I wanted happened. And that was a, a great start for me to, to, to know that it, it, it was a case of having to fight people to get what I wanted. He, he, would, he very generously made sure that um, what I wanted happened and you know and I could talk to the musicians and and get my point across and, and because I could also play I could if, if there was a part that I wanted I could just play it to them and whatever um, and so it, you know Gus was invaluable for me he was you know the most wonderful person because of course you can learn so much from these people as well can't you and that uh, has a direct influence in the future for you it, it does. You can also learn from people who are not good. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> which, which actually, um, uh, the first two people I worked with, I think, gave me the most valuable lessons of my career. Gus in how to do everything exactly right, and the other in how to do things not right. <laughs> and so having those two really, really, you know, I think really, really helped me and shaped what because when you when you find out what not to do and how not to put people at ease and how not to be communicative and how not to kind of respect other people's space and everything when you when you have that reference it allows you to be able to do the right thing uh so as i say uh, because i had Gus who could do everything right when i saw something being done completely opposite <laughs> yes I, I had this frame of reference to go back to to say, okay, well, that's fine. You, you know, you can do that, but this, but I know that this is the, the right way. Yes. Now, would I be right in thinking that uh, looking at your um, career, certainly in the last 20 years, I mean, we played in with uh, one of the new tracks off Starlight, which is uh, Back on Track. It seems to me that since the mid to late 1990s, your career really has got back on track. Um, in the sense that you're doing your own thing, you're very satisfied with what you're doing musically, and with the albums you've made since you know 2003, uh, things have got progressively better, really, in, in, in some ways. If it, would you agree with that, Joan? Yes, I would agree with that, yes. Um, I, I, I've no idea how, how to tell you what, why that is. Um, I know that I've always kind of gone my own way and written my own music and done things myself. But I think part of um, things being the way they are these days is just being more relaxed. That's what I think. It's just about being more relaxed and and just... I mean, I've always thought primarily of the music, but it's kind of almost been even more immersed in just the music and not really too concerned about much else. But, you know, the music is king and, and that's that's the thing. And I, I, I've always been very lucky in terms of rebel companies. They, they've always left me alone. <laughs> they, 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 they don't say to me, Joan, we need a record or anything. I, I, I'm usually the one that says, okay, I'm going to do a record and I'll give it to you at this point. You know? So I've never had that kind of pressure. Um, oh, oh, maybe I had it, but I just didn't notice it. Uh, I, I certainly didn't notice it. You know, I'm older. I'm, I was 22, I think, when my first record came out, and I'm 61 now, so it's, um, uh, you know, 
40, 40 years. What was happening, Joan, in the um, in the nineteen nineties? Really, you had the great success in the seventies and the eighties, and then things went off a bit in the nineties. As with everybody, there's a dynamic. It doesn't matter whether you're Joan Armstrong or Frank Sinatra or Elton John or the Beatles. It kind of doesn't really matter. There will be peaks and troughs. Uh, that's just how it goes. Um, okay, some of the people I've mentioned obviously have had massive success in the way that I haven't had massive success but it hasn't altered the fact that even with their massive success there's been great dips you know and that's just how it goes there's nobody whether you're talking about Madonna or Lady Gaga or Elvis no matter who you're talking about there will be peaks and troughs Michael Jackson you know there's always peaks and troughs because it, it, it's almost like in the trough, uh, it's somebody else's turn to have success. Because it, to me, it seems as if it's, a, it's about turns. There's people having success and somebody else kind of having a bit of a, a rest. And then somebody else has a success and then that other person has a rest, you know. Did that affect you at all in, in that decade, the 90s, then? Uh, you know, um, if you like calling it a bit of a dip, a natural dip, nevertheless. No, no. If it, if it had affected me, then I wouldn't be here now. Because when something affects you, and I'm presuming you, when you say affects you, you mean adversely. Um, if it had affected me, then obviously I wouldn't be still writing. I never stopped writing. Um, so it's not, you know, as I said, it's just, just something that happens. It's a natural thing. You haven't got to, haven't got to panic and kind of go and slash your wrists or anything. It's just, it's just what happens. That's natural. Yeah. That's life sort of thing, isn't it? Right, that's it. Well, well, one aspect of your recent work, moving the story a little bit more up to date, and it's a very appealing one to me, Joan, actually, is your seemingly greater use of the electric guitar, um, rather than the acoustic. And I know that fitted well with the rock album and um, there's still plenty of it on the, the latest album. Has that been a conscious decision for you in more recent years? Well, it's so funny. If you listen, I, I don't think I've played an electric guitar on my first, very first album, but from my second album onwards, I'm playing electric guitar. It's just that people don't know it. <laughs> I remember the, 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 the um, record company did a focus group on one of my CDs and they, they played a, a solo and you know because I'm playing all the electric all the guitars on it and they asked them who was playing and they mentioned everybody they mentioned Clapton, Mark Knopfler, you know Brian May they mentioned everybody not one person said Joan because people don't really notice uh, well they, they notice more now but didn't notice that I was playing the electric guitar I think people were quite sentimental about the acoustic and and because of love and affection they they tend to associate me with the 12-string ovations, <laughs> which is fine, not a problem. But I have been playing electric guitar since, you know, since my second album. If you listen to the second album, I'm playing electric guitar on there, on different albums throughout the years. From 2003, I became the only person playing everything. It becomes much more noticeable. This is radio for the internet age. Get ready to rock radio. Now, whilst listeners are going to be attracted to those key 
70s, 1970s albums. Can you also point them in that in the direction, Joan, of another album of yours, which you're particularly proud of and maybe a specific track we can play? Actually, I'll, I'll tell you what you could play. You could play the song that, that I said to you they asked everybody uh, who it was. And it, it's on an album called What's Inside. I think that was like next and is that a good album for listeners to explore if they want to get a bit more of Joan Armour trading, you know, um, aside from the, the key albums that they might know about? Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course I'm going to say yes, but uh, yeah, it's quite difficult to tell people what, what it is they should, should like. I mean, what, what they need to do is go and kind of get a snippet of different things because these days it's a great thing you can go onto iTunes or Amazon and get a snippet of all these different albums and, and from that you get a flavour and you start to think well yes I like that or I don't like that and so that's probably what I'd say is you know go to iTunes or Amazon and call up my name and look at all the different albums but try not to go for the compilation albums try to go for a, a particular album like Into the Blues or This Charming Life or, or of course I'm going to say uh, Starlight yeah. try and go for a, a, a solid album and then you get that, you know, this kind of flavour And is the one album prior to all these, one that you hold particularly close to your heart in terms of um, either the content, um, it doesn't matter when you recorded it really, but is the one album you think more people should hear Joan? Um, well I suppose the album that got me noticed would be one that would come to the fore, which is an album called Joan on the Trading. Yeah. That has love and affection on it, and love and affection is what got me known all over, all over the world. So it's, a, it's an important album to me. It's a special album to me. Um, and, it's a, and it's a really good album. I think it stands up today in the same way that um, Shirt of Emotion, which followed that, stands up. Uh, another album that I really like is the, the shouting stage. Now, in respect of the recording then, um, going back to those um, early albums, now, it seems you had a bit of a false start with the record label Cube back in the, right at the start of the 70s, really. And it wasn't until, I think it was 1975, you released your second album. Yeah. Um, this must have been a real hindrance for you at that time because it was almost like... Um, being in limbo, possibly, as far as the recording went. I mean, what was happening at that time? Well, in 72, um, I was signed to Cube, but I was also signed to A&M. I was signed to Cube here in England, but I was signed to A&M in America. It was a question of not being on Cube anymore. (laughs) I had to to not be on Cube anymore. So that took a, a while to sort out. So that's that was the interruption there between the first and the second album was just kind of making that transition. But then I just remained on A&M. Um, so it, it, it wasn't so much as being in limbo as, as just trying to sort something out. Were you ever under any pressure to come up with more commerciality, you know, uh, therefore that would be you know, give you wider appeal, or were you very much left to your own devices, even by the record label? I was left my own devices. Maybe I'm lying. Maybe I wasn't. But I, that's certainly how I felt. I, I, I never allowed any pressure to come to me because I was I'm happy writing. That's what I do. Write. I don't really need anybody to tell me to write. 
you know, I'm, I'm going to write. I, I don't really need you to tell me go and write a song. That's what I'm going to do. So it, you'd only have that pressure if you're not doing that, and, and that's what I'm always... That's what I'm doing. That's how you work. Yeah, it's really interesting that because some artists are obviously almost put in a straitjacket. Certainly in the seventies and maybe in the eighties as well. You know, the label stipulates they want a certain type of album, or there's pressure because of the major success of the previous album. I think what you're saying, Joan, is because you write in a naturally appealing commercial way, they left you alone, really. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Me being the way I am. I haven't got a clue. Huh. <laughs> I know that that is the way I am. I, I, I don't know because I'm I'm very eclectic, and I don't know if that I don't know if that's good or if people think, well, why don't you just stick to one thing? I've no idea. But I I just feel that you have to be natural. You know, I write is the way I write. That's kind of it. And the way most people write is the way they write. Do you know what I mean? If you're stock aching a waterman, that's how you write. If you're if you're Mark Knopfler, that's how you write. If you're John Armand Trading, that's how you write. You know, people write the way they write. That's kind of it. If you're Andrew Lloyd Webber, you write the way you write. That's it. That's how most people have a way of going about things that is very natural and comfortable to them. And that's generally the thing that works. So that's what you kind of hone. Yes. I suppose what I'm getting at, really, and you sort of answered the question, that, um, you know, sometimes with self-produced material, i.e. The, the, the most recent albums, you're allowed completely free, you know, free reign. But it seems to me that that doesn't actually apply in your case because that's you, you're basically writing that way anyway, and that's well received by any record label. Um, so, so what I'm saying, Joan, is that there isn't any pent-up frustration from Joan Armour Trading that she wasn't allowed to do certain things at certain times. I've never, no, because I've, I've never had that. I've always, I've always done what I do. Done what you've done, sort of thing, okay. yeah, yeah. Get ready to rock. Now let's uh, bring the story right up to date with the new album called Starlight. When you... Um, made this album, Joan. Did you have a concept from the start? I mean, it does seem to flow from the previous album. Um, but are you receptive to, for for example, you you've got a very loyal fan base. Are you receptive to that sort of expectation? In other words, if you came up with a completely off the wall album, um, you know, you're conscious that might alienate some of that fan base. I kind of write what I want to write. If, if if I wanted to write a uh, Norwegian folk singer's <laughs> album, whatever, I, I, then that's the album I'd write, not the album I want to write. What I want to write is what I've written. Um, and as a writer, you cannot afford to think about the people who are going to hear what you've written. You can't afford to. Because you will tell me you want this. And if you're married or you're with somebody, that person will say, no, but I want this. And then your next door neighbor will say, no, but wait a minute, really what you need to do, Joan, is this. And then you go down the street a few blocks and you talk to somebody else and they say, no, 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 those are the three are wrong. What you need to do is this. And then you talk to somebody else and they say, no, they're all wrong. It's this. 
So in the end, who are you going to follow? Mm. Like you haven't got a clue. So the best person to follow is yourself. I write for myself. And then once the song is written and it's out there, then yes, I want everybody to be involved and to, to commit to it and become emotionally attached to it and everything. But I can't write for for everybody. I, I can't. I can't write thinking about the audience. It's just not going to work. You've, you've remained very truthful to your art form, I think, from the very earliest days. Um, can I just ask you briefly, Joan, how, how did you get involved in music anyway? I mean, I, I gather it was from a very early age. Um, but what was influencing you um, when you started out? I, I used to write like little, little poets, like even poems, limericks, <laughs> and, and little funny stories and, and jokes and things like that. Um, and then one day my mother bought a piano and put it in the front room. She bought it purely as a piece of furniture. She thought it looked great. She wanted it in the, in the corner there by that wall. And as, literally as soon as that piano arrived, I started writing. And that's, that's where my writing started. It wasn't because of listening to records or hearing this or going to that or whatever. It literally was the piano arrived, that did it. And as your music developed, could you say there were any major influences on you? Say in the 60s, for instance. No, not really, because once I, once I started to write, I was kind of into what I was doing. However, having said that, music is everywhere. It's impossible not influenced by what you hear. But there's a, an indirect and a, and a direct influence. So I, I would never, you know, want to sit down and play along to records and things like that. I didn't, didn't do that. So I wasn't trying to be anybody else. Because once I discovered my, my writing, that's really what I was doing, was, was writing my song. So I wasn't kind of listening to this and thinking, oh, I, I want to write something like that, or I want to write, you know. It wasn't, wasn't that. I was just kind of in, into just what I was doing. But music, as I say, it, it's everywhere. It, it gets into you. I, it, there's no way that I'm going to be able to... There's no way I'm going to be able to write a blues song unless I've heard a blues song. You know, I'm not going to be able to write jazz unless I've heard jazz. I'm not going to be able to write rock unless I've heard rock. You know, it's, I, I, I haven't invented hard work. <laughs> All the genres were there. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I kind of soaked them all up. So it's not... I'm not denying an influence, but what I'm denying, or not denying, but I'm, what, I'm not, what I'm saying is I haven't kind of consciously sat down to say, this is the thing that, that I want to try and be like. Emulate sort of thing, I know, yeah, yeah. No, that's, so on your day off, Joan, I mean, is there any particular... Well, when is that going to be? <laughs> well, it won't be any time before 2014. <laughs> you know, what sort of music would you listen to? Um, I think that's what I'm probably getting at. You know, at the moment, for instance, I mean, is there anything on your iPod if you've got one? Or I don't have music on my iPod. No. No. I have talking. I have comedians. I have, uh, you know, Tim Vine and uh, Michael McIntyre. And um, I absolutely love the killers. You know, I, I thought Amy Winehouse was wonderful. Um, Jenny Cullum, I think, is really, really good. He's very versatile. He's quite eclectic. But I think of him... Kind of like me, very creative. 
there's lots of people that I really, really like, and I, I've heard and I know their music. I might not own it, but I heard it, you know. So, so, the, so, so music is, 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 is around, but I'm not kind of sitting down or I'm not walking around with music in my head all the time. I'm not playing, you know, the band, they're constantly listening to music. I don't know how they do it. But they're always listening to stuff. I think, I can't listen to music all the time like that. No. Yeah, I, 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 I like to listen to the radio for or, or, you know, just have kind of a play or something going on in my head, you know, listen to audio probably a lot healthier Joan I would imagine really (laughs) let's finish now with a track from that brand new album called Starlight and we should say to listeners although you may tag it as a as a jazz sort of album of the trilogy when you listen to the album you definitely know what the albums are you don't listen to uh, uh, Starlight and think oh that's a blues album but when you listen to Into the Blues you think oh that's blues you know, you, you, you do know what it is you're listening to. And the main thing is it's highly accessible, as your albums are. And um, we should just also mention that um, you've got some great dates lined up, and not least over the summer you're appearing. Cambridge Cambridge Folk Festival, you mentioned Cropper D, Acoustic Festival, Great Britain, and, of course, the Isle of Wight Festival. And then that precedes your marvellous tour starting in the autumn. So... Uh, Listeners should go and check your website. Thank you, Joan, for your time. And um, all the very best from us all here at Get Ready to Rock for the album and, of course, the tour. Thank you very much. My pleasure.